Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Sam Dykstra, and we are getting closer and closer to opening day, or I guess, I guess we have to say opening days. This is kind of a weird one, uh, because we, the way I'm looking at it, we have like four opening days, two in the minors and two in the majors, and four four opening days total, but we're getting close to, to baseball, uh, regular season baseball. We are uh, obviously in the thick of spring training baseball now and we want to take a look at some uh, how some prospects are doing in spring training and specifically take a look at some guys who we think might be on uh, opening day rosters uh, we also have an interview with rangers 2021 first round pick jack Leiter. uh jim and sam both been running around like crazy at spring training camps uh the two of them and jonathan mayo hitting all 30 spring training camps, and Jim got a chance to talk to Jack Leiter. We'll let you listen into that. Uh, all 30 team top 30 prospects lists for 2022 are out. Um, that is a huge, huge project every year for us, and uh, those are all out now. They were a bit delayed uh, by the lockout. They have been unlocked, and they're all up now, so check them out on MLB.com pipeline. We're going to dig into those lists a little bit. Also going to look ahead at some prospects to watch this upcoming season. A couple guys that uh, Jim and Sam are excited to see. And then we're going to wrap up with a question from the mailbag. So uh, Jim and Sam, like I said, you guys have been running around all over the place. Uh, when Jonathan was on the road, he refused to tell us where he was uh, a couple weeks in a row on the podcast. And Sam, I do not know where you are right now. Yeah, I, I kind of want to keep tell the yeah, I'll tell you, because if anybody wants to come and find me somewhere in the valley, you go right on ahead. Um, I'm in Tempe, Arizona currently. Um, I've just spent the last two days in Peoria. I'm going to Mariners and Padres camp. I will be going to Brewers camp tomorrow. Uh, D-backs camp will be the final camp I will be visiting on Thursday. That's the final camp for any of us. Um, but yeah, I also saw the Kansas City Royals. So it's been a full week of running around uh the Valley over here in the Phoenix area, but love being here. Love the fact that all this baseball is so close to each other. And uh, yeah, and the, the season is so close itself. All right. So you mentioned uh, Royals camp, 
and you mentioned Mariner's Camp, and that dovetails nicely into our first conversation. Uh, you did a story uh, projecting when top 100 prospects will debut this season. There are uh, a... I, I, th- this, I think, has to be a huge number. Um, I'd, I'd love to go back and look at previous lists and compare them. But 51 out of this year's top 100 prospects have ETAs of this season. And you went through that whole list and um, very conveniently put together uh, projections on when these guys, when we'll see them in the big leagues. Uh, broke them up into a few different categories the first category being opening day, and I think that's the one that everybody is obviously most excited about. Which of these prospects will we see on opening day? And you know, right off the bat at the top of our list, uh, the first seven prospects, all with ETAs of 2022. And it seems like we're going to get to see quite a few of them. And there's, there's one in particular that uh, was not in your opening day bunch, but I know you have been paying particular attention to this and think that it's looking increasingly likely that we could see Julio Rodriguez in the big leagues. Yeah. I mean, that, it was fascinating being in Seattle camp the other day and just trying to talk to people about it, uh, trying to get a, an idea of is Julio Rodriguez actually going to be the opening day center fielder? not just an outfielder, the center fielder. And I know that's one question we had about him in the offseason is where is he going to play defensively? Um, and it seems like he's showed up to camp faster than ever. Uh, I did a Q&A with him, which will be on MLB.com by the time you guys probably hear this, uh, asking him specifically about his speed. And he really took it upon himself to get faster. And I wish it was that easy for all of us to just say, I'm going to get faster in the offseason and flip a switch. But he seems to have really taken to it. Um, You look at what he's been able to do hitting-wise, he's very much the Julio Rodriguez. We saw at the end of last year, he's hitting above 300, an OPS of 960 right now. Through eight games, it is what it is. But the batting practice that I saw was unreal. He was in a group with Abraham Toro and Jared Kelnick. He easily had the best batting practice of that group, um, two major league-ready guys, obviously, uh, and him who hasn't seen AAA yet. It just seems like all the pieces right there are, are ready right now for Julio Rodriguez to swoop in. Kyle Lewis is injured. They have some holes on the outfield. Yes, they picked up Jesse Winker, but Jesse Winker could easily be their DH. Kelnick slides over to left. If you know, As I'm sitting here on March 29th and opening day is April 7th, it seems like a better than 50-50 chance of Julio Rodriguez coming up on opening day. I wouldn't have said that a, a week ago but he continues to just hit all the objectives that Seattle has for him in camp. And, you know, if, if they are really gung ho on building on last year's near postseason team, getting Julio Rodriguez in the lineup from day one, showing that he is one of their best outfielders and giving him every day at bats would go a long way to maybe breaking that postseason drought over there in Seattle. Well, I think a lot of times too, you see with the great prospects, they just rewrite their ETAs. You know, we, we talked about this, I think it might've been last week's podcast, about Bobby Wood Jr.'s season, how amazing it was that he basically played rookie ball and then they jumped him to double A and then he went to triple A and he had as good a season as, as anybody in the minors, you know, right there with Anthony Volpe. And I, I just think J-Rod is another example of this where like you could sit there and put a timetable on him 
and he's just so good. Like his talent breaks your timetable. I'm I'm curious that that he would play center over Kelnick. That's very interesting to me because um, I always thought Kelnick, you know, in the same outfield would be a better defender than J Rod. But you know that that bat is so good, and if you're trying, you know, like you said, Sam, you know, the, the, they just missed playoffs last year. There's obviously more teams making the playoffs this year. Um, and if you think you have a shot, uh, you know, you don't want to get cute and, and barely miss because because you, you waited to call a guy up. And again, I don't know that this is playing into the decision, but with the new rules, we don't have all the details on this. I don't think the, the actual rule, but the, the, in the new CBA, it rewards you. If, if Julio Rodriguez is on the opening day roster and he stays on the active roster, or I, I guess on the big league roster all season, I, I think IL time would count because he'd still get service time. But if he gets a full year of service time, and he's on the opening day roster, then, and he finishes and again, I don't know if it's top three, top five in the rookie of the year voting this year or in the MVP voting in, in the next couple of years, they would get an extra pick at the end of the first round. So you, you get the bonus of, hey, here's Julio. We get him all year as we're trying to make the playoffs. And oh, by the way, might get an extra, you know, you know, pick at the end of the first round out of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be really fascinated to see how that really affects things. Like how many, if any GMs are willing to go on the record and say like, that's a big deal to them is is like hey yes we we are starting julio rodriguez but also it's because of the pick um but it, the extra incentive can't hurt um uh, yeah think- i mean i think it's i don't know that it would drive a decision necessarily but i would think if you're on the fence like hey do we want to delay his service time i think that might push you over the fence and, and maybe start the guy in the big especially if you're a contender like i, I go back to to buster posey who in 2009 came up in September. I think there was an injury, so they needed a backup catcher. And he didn't play much, so he got 30 days of service time. So as a result, the next year, the Giants kept Buster Posey down in the uh, in the minors, I think, for two months of the season. They didn't call him up to, until June, you know, some, somewhere around the beginning of June. And, you know, Buster had a great year uh, for them in 2010. And I believe they won, they made the playoffs by a game or two. And oh, by the way, they won the World Series, but they almost got so cute that, you know, they very easily, you know, they, let's say they lose two more games. They don't they don't go to the playoffs. They don't win the World Series. So I, I don't know, Sam, like you said, if people will come out and say it. But I do think if people are on the fence, it makes it a little easier to make that decision. Like, I, you know, with the 2016 Cubs have put Chris Bryant on their opening day roster uh, or, or 2015 Cubs put Chris Bryant on their opening day roster. You know, maybe we'll never know, but like that might have been another, you know, that, that might have t- t- tipped him over the edge. Yeah, the Julio Rodriguez one is extremely interesting, uh, Sam, considering that when you did this story, you uh, I mentioned you broke these guys down into tiers opening day and then early, which you uh, specified as April or May. And then the next group uh, was mid season. June, July, August, and Julio wasn't even in that second group of early. You had him in midseason, so this is quite a surprise. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with Julio and anybody of his caliber, if we're talking a top three, top ten, top twenty, however you want to go farther down the line, is that they need every day at bats. And when I was originally doing this, I was thinking, okay, well, let's say he is one of their four or five best outfielders right now, but is Seattle going to give a 21-year-old who has no AAA experience every day at bats in the major leagues, probably not. So it seemed like a logical conclusion to make that they were going to send him to AAA Tacoma, let him develop there, let him get 
everyday experience, especially in center field, which is where we have the biggest question with him. And let that take April and May. And he could be up early June if they still have an outfield problem. Um, but I thought he would need two months of AAA at least to really force that issue because he's he would be super young for AAA and he might just skip right over that. It just seems the outfield situation right now and his improved defense, his improved speed is good enough for him to get those everyday at-bats at the major league level. Uh, and like Jim was saying, really push up that timeline uh, on his own. It's too bad we don't have uh, Jonathan on the podcast today to, to take credit for uh, Julio's increased speed, which you know he would, Jim. He would uh, cite his uh, – what did he say? He's, he told Julio before the Futures game last year that he would bump his speed grade up uh, by one grade if he if he stole a base in the Futures game. And then he, he stole the base and overslid the bag and, and uh, on a technicality did not uh, <laughs> did not get his uh, speed grade raised. Or I think he did actually raise it anyway, didn't he? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, I, the, the Futures game was a blur since it was on the same day as the draft. You know, I, we didn't have – I was just thinking about this too, like about the Julio and, and the guys rewriting their ETAs. I, two guys I'll be curious about who we have 2023 ETAs on because I don't think their teams have really addressed their position and both these teams are looking to win is if Anthony Volpe comes out raking like he did last year when he was the, the pipeline hitter of the year and you look at the Yankees and – you know, Glaber Torres is not a good defender at short. You know, Isaiah Connor Felipe, I guess, is their shortstop right now. I'm not sure how much offense he, he provides. The AL East is going to be really cutthroat this year. Uh, I wonder if Anthony Volpe slugs his way to, to, to New York at some point this year. You know, again, the, the premise that the great players, the great prospects rewrite their own timetables. And then I, I know he needs work defensively, but, you know, I look at the Mets, you know, who are, you know, you know, it, it's, you know, the, the playoffs are bust. They're spending money all over the place. And they've got James McCann, who's 32 years old and coming off a bad year. Uh, you know, like, could Francisco Alvarez, you know, push his way into New York? Uh, I'll, be very, I'll be very curious to see on both those accounts. The one thing I'll say about Volpe real quick is I think Praza presents, prevents, or presents like an opportunity if they do need to really up upgrade shortstop. I know he's not as good a hitter. So if it's like a – he would be – about the same as kind of Falefa at shortstop defensively and maybe not much of an upgrade offensively, then what's the point? Um, Volpe would at his ceiling is definitely going to be an offensive upgrade. It's just as that this year or next summer we'll have to see. But I think that's one thing I, I will be fascinated um, to see how quickly they can move Alvarez because they moved him quickly last year. He started out at St. Lucie and when they realized he wasn't getting challenged there whatsoever, they moved him up to Brooklyn. Um, he's probably going to start this year at Binghamton, which is two stops away. Guys get called up from double A, not all that often, but fairly regularly. It's not uncalled for. And, uh, if he tears it up at Binghamton, moves up to Syracuse by June, then we're talking about maybe a second half debut for him as well. So Alvarez feels like within the realm of possibility, but, um, yeah, who knows? The, like you said, these are top 10 overall prospects. These are guys who are surprising us at every turn and, and, you know, they, they will certainly get their chances here in, a, in a, about a week or so. Yeah, those are two of only three of the top 10 overall prospects who do not have 2022 ETAs. So now you're throwing them in as maybes for this year. C.J. Abrams is the only other one. Uh, he has a 2023 ETA. Uh, would be pretty cool be this see. year, too. He could be yeah, up this year. We could see every top 10 prospect in the big leagues this year. Yeah, I, I think we really could. 
I mean, to go yeah. back to the original point we were making about like opening day rosters, when you look at the way the top six is, is shaking out right now, if Adley Rutschman was healthy and he has a triceps issue and that seems to be delaying him and he may open up as a de facto rehab assignment at AAA Norfolk, but Bobby Witt Jr., likely opening day guy. Julio Rodriguez, we've already addressed him. Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green. The Tigers said today they want those guys to make the team um, come next week. For all our talk of like the top prospects in the game right now are mostly hitters, we could look up in June and Grayson Rodriguez is the number one overall prospect in baseball just because the five ahead of him graduate pretty quickly. Well, don't forget your market corrections, Sam. We, I don't, we, yeah. 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 So, 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 so it's not the five. I love Grayson, but he's not – he's not uh, – you know, you don't just move up. We, we will probably have a couple <laughs> adjustments to the list before then. So we'll I'm see. I'm just saying I, it's within the realm of possibility. It is. It is. It is. It is. I'm going to give you guys a quick quiz. See how much, how closely you read my stuff and remember it from last September. But last September, you know, just I was thinking of Torkelson and Green. Last September, I was commissioned to write a ranking the during the draft era, the best teammates who they debuted together, who went on to have the best big league careers and I'm sure we will dust this off if, if they both make the roster and run it again. Do either of you remember who the best prospect duo in the draft era in terms of big league careers was? Who, who Torkelson and Green will be aiming for? This was debuted together. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I didn't go back and look that they debuted at the same exact time, but they kind of broke in the same year. But I can't claim it they, wasn't they Jeter and Rivera, was it? They were number four, which shows you how good this list was. I started to I started to pull it up, and I've got it here, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Yeah, you claim you are. I'm not going to pull a Jonathan and, and shoot. <laughs> how far back do you have to go? Number one was 1986. A 1986 club. <clears throat> I can't remember this. Okay. Well, I'll tell you now. Greg Maddox and Rafael Palmero. Number two, I went Tom Seaver and Jerry Kuzman. And number three, I went Pedro Martinez and Mike Piazza. Now, that's, ba- that's based on the full career? Based on full career. Not, not with the team that they broke in together. Wow, Pedro and Piazza seems hard to beat. Well, I mean, Greg Maddox, you could argue, is the best pitcher of all time. And Palmero had three thousand hits and five hundred home runs. Yeah, so it was it was, was a fun was a story. Yeah, there there were some, and and again it went on from there. But yeah, it was it was some pretty interesting guys. But uh, but yeah, I mean it's uh, you don't often see two guys break in like that. And in fact, you know if you want to talk Tigers, and then we can move on. I believe yes, Lou Whitaker and Alan Trammell debuted on the same day in September nineteen seventy seven. So we could see Riley Green, and Spencer Torkelson debut on the same day as well yeah i will when i asked how far back we had to go for number one i had uh, the tigers duo in mind but not quite that that far back for number one apparently uh, yeah so these guys who are vying for opening day positions not exactly hurting their cases in uh, spring training either and obviously you always take spring training performance with a grain of salt but uh, it also, on the other hand, never hurts when you're Bobby Witt Jr. and you're hitting uh, nearly 500 in spring training. Uh, entering today, I believe, had an OPS of 1.389 and then had a couple more hits 
today, uh, broadcasting on, uh, recording this on Tuesday. Uh, Julio, Julio Rodriguez up around 1,000 OPS. Riley Green, 1.383, entering Tuesday's play. Uh, C.J. Abrams, Francisco Alvarez, uh, Alvarez with only uh, four ABs but a home run. Uh, Abrams played a, playing a little bit more, 21 plate appearances and OPS over 1,000. All these guys performing. Brennan Davis, who, uh, you know, another guy that we think we'll see this year, but we haven't talked about him um, in terms of getting a shot early, but he has also performed very well in his limited spring training uh, uh, appearances this year. I do wonder, it, it's not the case for, for Julio Rodriguez and some of the other guys you named, but like Riley Green it is, Spencer Torkelson it is, Bobby Wood Jr. These guys showed up to camp earlier because of the lockout. They're not on the 40-man roster, so they were gearing up for a season like normal. Not to say people on a 40-man roster weren't getting ready at home or whatever um, and weren't staying fresh in their own ways, but like some of these guys were ready to go the second Grapefruit League, Cactus League play Again, some teams had to really lean on their prospects early. Um, so the fact that, you know, they were already ready, they're already very talented, they're good enough to do this anyway. Um, but I think just being that, you know, better in place, uh, I think it certainly helped their cause anyways. And, and it's given them some, some momentum going into April. All right. We mentioned earlier that uh, – Jim had a chance to talk to Jack Leiter. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, you'll hear from the Rangers' number one prospect. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Sam Dykstra and Jim Callis. Uh, the latter of whom had a chance to talk to Rangers number one prospect Jack Leiter at spring training camp. And let's have a listen to that now. Okay, Jim Callis, MLB Pipeline here with uh, Jack Leiter of the Texas Rangers. And uh, Jack, uh, well, I want to go back to when you were coming out of high school. You know, obviously you had a lot of interest from pro teams. You know, could have either gone in the first round or probably gotten first round money if you'd wanted to go pro at that point. How tough of a decision was it for you? Was it something you that took a long time to decide, or were you pretty set on going to Vanderbilt? I was set on going to Vanderbilt um, pretty much the whole time. You know, from the early years of high school, I didn't even think professional baseball was an option at the time. I was just trying to get, you know, offers to play in college. And then once the offers sort of started rolling in and um, the draft talks um, started picking up, I really just stayed set on my dream of going to Vanderbilt. Obviously, everybody dreams about being a big leaguer, all-star, winning World Series, all of those. But I felt like Vanderbilt was part of that um, journey, and it was necessary to, to go there, and it was just one of the steps along the way. And uh, I'm really happy I did that. How much did your dad play a role in that decision? Because I remember when you were pitching in the Under Armour games, so that would have been 2017, I guess, your, between your, going into your senior year? 18, I, I think, yes. Yeah. Well, in any case, well, I remember watching you pitch at the Under Armour game, and your dad was there. Not not broadcast. I was broadcasting the game. Your dad was just enjoying it, but we had him up in the booth, and it was funny because you know talking to your dad. I mean, dad obviously had a great career, and I don't think he has any regrets, but he didn't get to have the college experience. And he was talking about that a little bit. And at that point, your velocity was starting to pick up, like, and you were starting to become more of a prospect. And it was 
going to become a little bit more of a decision. You know, like you were saying early on, it was pretty easy decision, and you're going to get maybe tempted. And I always kind of sensed he wanted you to go to college to have that college experience. Did, did he play much of a role in that decision, or did he kind of leave it up to you to you kind of give you his perspective but let you make the call? I mean, he played a huge role, and my mom as well. Um, they were both really big advocates for school since I was little and taking it seriously in the classroom. And that's kind of what I did all throughout, you know, elementary, middle, and high school. And then it was it was pretty um, agreed upon between all of us that I don't really think there would have been a price to sway me away from Vanderbilt. And um, that was kind of just what I had my mindset on. Didn't think about the draft a single time my whole senior year. Just got to enjoy my last year of high school. And, you know, I think that kind of eased my mind too because I really do think that um, the years at Vanderbilt helped me mature on and off the field and they were really needed in order to, you know, come into the pro ball setting and feel prepared. Yeah, and I mean, it's, I always tell people, like, it's hard. I don't think you understand it till you go to college, but, like, it's not just learning in the classroom. I mean, you kind of are on your own for the first time. You learn about life, and it's like I, th- I just think for most kids, like, if you can do that, it's better than doing that, you know, riding a bus in the minor leagues at 18 years old. And, I mean, you got two great years at Vanderbilt. I mean, one was shortened, obviously, but but two great years. And, I mean, I know this is an obvious question. I'm sure you've been asked this a million times. But how nice is it to have a resource like your dad? I mean, he kind of has done just, you know, two all-star teams, two World Series, pitched forever in the big leagues. You know, just, you know, any question you have about pitching or, you know, life as a pro, I mean, you've got a guy right there who can answer it all for you. Yeah, obviously. Um it's, it's a huge impact and a huge influence on me. And he never really pushed even for me to be a baseball player and a pitcher, let alone that. But it, I sort of just fell in love with it. And a lot of it came from kind of just a self-drive to, to continue to improve. And then he was just a resource. Um, he was never too pushy one way or another. You need to do this, you need to do that. It was kind of on me. And when I had, you know, questions and when I was struggling with something on the field or, or off it, um, he was always there, or he is always there to help, and that's been a huge influence on me. You mentioned that you know early on in your high school career you weren't even really thinking about pro ball. When did your stuff start to get better and you start to realize, hey, like <laughs> I might have a pretty good future? Because I remember even like even going to the Under Armour game. I mean, you were a prospect, but you know you were kind of pitchability right-hander a little bit, you know, good curveball, nobody was really talking about the fastball much. I mean, when did when did your stuff start to take off for you? I would say, yeah, that summer I gained uh, another level of confidence because the summer before that I was not highly regarded on any of those um, websites and anything like that. And then I didn't think I was going to be invited to the Under Armour game or Perfect Game or even the USA tryouts, Tournament of Stars. I didn't really expect any of that to happen. Uh, my teammate, Vol- Anthony Volpe, he was um, getting invited to all of those, and I think guys were coming out kind of to see him. And that junior year season, I, I sort of started to click, and the velocity ticked up a little bit. The feel for my breaking balls was, was getting better throughout the season. And as more people were coming to watch, I think him, um, they kind of got their eyes on me, and I was lucky enough to get invited to those events. And being in those events, making friends with you know the best guys around the country, future top prospects and uh, big leaguers, that was that was really cool for me and for you know the confidence level. And then I would say that winter um, with Team USA, the 18U team, which was a really special team looking back, 
Um, that was that was another cool experience. Getting to pitch in the gold medal game in Panama against Panama. Um, that was just another confidence booster, and that's sort of when going into my senior season. That's that's when my confidence on the mound got you know better. Now, how much do you stay in touch and, and monitor what Anthony's up to? Because it's funny. Two years ago, I was in spring training interviewing him in Tampa. You were, I think, maybe you'd made one or two appearances for Vanderbilt, and he was pretty excited. I mean, you. It was a short season, but you were off to a really good start, and he was excited about that. And obviously, you're aware. I mean, Anthony had about as good a season as anybody did in the minor leagues last year. Did you guys stay in touch and you keep an eye on what he's doing? Yeah, we do. I like to check in um, periodically, and then when we're home, you know, holiday breaks and things like that, to link up and you know just hang out. And yeah, I mean, last season I was I was checking in almost almost every game to see how he did, and it's really cool to have. Uh, former teammate who I played with for so long and became so close with, you know, kind of get what he what he's deserved this whole time. And guys, people who have known him since he was little have always known that that was Anthony Volpe. But it just recently got got recognized by by the whole world, and I think that's awesome. And and um, knowing him and his work ethic, it's gonna it's gonna continue to uh, impress people. Yeah, it's impressive too how. You know, during the pandemic, I mean, he, he spent so much time getting stronger and remaking his swing. And even this offseason, he's worked to make his defense better. Like, he worked real hard. So, you, like, I don't think you guys have teams in the same leagues. So you probably won't get to face him until you're both in the big leagues, which will be pretty cool. But uh, if you were facing him today, who do you think wins the, uh, the letter versus Volpe batter? How would you pitch him? Um, I mean, I've, I've done it all because I've faced him so many yeah. times now during the pandemic. Um, he was one of three or four hitters that was facing me and I would simulate, you know, four inning outings because I wanted to kind of build up my, um, you know, my innings log that year because I only had 15 before COVID hit. Right. And so I was throwing innings to him and he was hitting every three hitters. So we have, we've had tons of at-bats against mm-hmm. each other. So um, I would definitely say he's gotten more and more comfortable. He's, <laughs> he's seen my pitches. So I would probably have to pull out some stuff that I, that I haven't before, maybe some new stuff. Gotcha. Maybe give you a knuckleball or, or <laughs> yeah. something. Yeah, you know, we talked right before we, we started this interview. You, like you haven't officially pitched in a pro game yet. Like I don't even think you pitched instructionally. You've pitched, you know, I think one big league game and, and some minor league stuff. I, I know you're competitive. Everybody always talks about your competitiveness. How much are you looking forward to the regular season, getting going, and to start pitching in games that matter? I mean, I guess what the last game you pitched in where they kept scoring account for something was the College World Series, right? Yep. Yeah, I'm. I'm very excited. Um, I mean, that's that's why you play this game. The the competitiveness in, in all of us, all the guys here. It's been it's been really cool to see um, all these other guys so talented go to work, pitchers and hitters. Uh, it's been really cool. But yeah, I'm, it's been awesome out here. But I'm ready to ready to get going, get in a uniform and an affiliate, and compete against a different uniform and. Um, you know, have some have some teammates out there every day behind me, and stuff like that. I really am excited for because up until now, since the College World Series, it's mostly just competing against yourself to continue getting better, and that doesn't change. But the competing against another team kind of comes into play more and more, and um, we're getting we're getting ready for that. What was your uh, first uh, cactus game like? What was that experience like? I think you get you struck out the first four guys and got the fifth guy out, and then ran into a little bit of control issues. But uh, what was that experience like? Yeah, I mean, um, like I said, it's just it had been a while since another uniform stand, um, fans in the stands, and 
it was a really cool, really cool experience. And kind of just the feel, it's, it's feeling out the mound again. Every, every season, once the, uh, once the off season is over and you put all your work in and then it's time to, time to start competing again, those preseason games, it's sort of just getting back a feel for off speed, you know, fastball command and everything. And that's, that's still, um, obviously something you're working on all throughout the season, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was a really cool experience, face some really good hitters and, um, you know, take, take the positives and kind of move on with it. But yeah, definitely learning experiences. If you were ranking your pitches in order from best to worst, how would you, how would you line them up? I mean, I would put fastball at number one and then curveball slider are kind of um, 2A and 2B for me. I think they have different purposes, but they're really effective for, for what they can be used for. And, um, and then change-ups been coming along. And then um, I'll throw in a cutter in there every once in a while, and that's something that it's a fun pitch to mess around with. So I, I kind of keep that in my back pocket as, you know, a quasi-fifth pitch to, you know, have, have in there in case, in case it's needed. Need that for Volpe next time you yeah, break that one out. What's on your to-do list, you know, this year from a development standpoint? That the Rangers. I mean, obviously you need to get some innings because you haven't done that yet. But I mean, what are you looking to do with your your various pitches or your your? I don't know if they're making any delivery adjustments, but command or control. Yeah, I mean, as a pitcher, I think you're always refining command and um, how your body moves down the mound in terms of efficiency. So that's something that I'm always kind of paying attention to and working to improve and um, especially on the command side I feel like every year since I started pitching seriously about junior year of high school it's just gotten incrementally a little bit better and it's nowhere near perfect but um, that's the fun part about the game there's always something to work on and um, you know I look forward to um, the good and the bad because that's the way it's going to be until I retire so kind of just taking the positives from the bad outings and not getting too high from the good outings and um, staying somewhere in the middle and part of that is going to be just continuing to work on all that stuff. Somebody was telling me, are you, are you trying to throw your slider a little bit harder, a little bit tighter? Is that a point of emphasis? And like the changeup, I mean, you haven't really had to use a lot to this point. I mean, which is, it's true of a lot of professional pitchers. Are you, are you trying different changeup grips or do you have one you feel pretty comfortable with? I've sort of settled on one now a little bit, a changeup grip. But um, yeah, I mean, that's something that I'm always kind of tinkering with, move the pinky up, move the thumb up. But um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've found a grip that I, I feel pretty comfortable in. It's sort of just getting consistent with, with the way my body moves because my body, my, especially my lower half moves super quick off the mound. So the, the slower pitch, it's maintaining arm speed and, um, and locating that. And it's, it has gotten better and I think it'll continue to do so. Have you, I mean, I know most guys don't. Do you worry much about timetable to the big leagues? Have you thought about it at all? Have you thought about where you're going to start this year? I mean, I think the plan's probably double-A. Um, honestly, no. I don't put any thought into that. And that's sort of, I think that's important for, for any athlete in general, just to keep a, keep a narrow focus on what you can control. And the outside perceptions from others doesn't really um, matter or affect you. So... You know, it's it's cool to talk about all that stuff. Obviously, you want to be a big leaguer, but I know that, you know, as a pitcher, if you keep improving yourself each and every day, each and every week, each and every start, um, the time will come, and whenever that is, it'll be great. 
We've been asking guys just about comps. Has there been anybody in particular you get compared to, like big leaguer? Or, I mean, the one I know, fans love comps. So like MLB.com and MLB Network are always asking us, who's, who's this guy compared to? Who's that guy compared to? And I know like the one I got last year, and I don't know if it was because it was the same school and you guys were similar size with Sonny Gray, but you have like a deeper repertoire. Have you have you heard any good comps for yourself or any that, that you kind of like when you heard it? I mean, Sonny Gray's a cool one. Whenever it's any of the Vandy guys, I like that a lot, Walker Bueller. Um, I mean, they have stuff that I'd love to have. That Sonny Gray sinker would be a cool one to add. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, t- in terms of what I think of, it's it's really great. I look at all these big league guys and I see, you know, I watch videos on them talking about their stuff and I watch them pitch and kind of try to take some stuff here and there. Um, but, I, I mean, yeah, I've, I've heard people say Sonny Gray. I've heard... Someone said Mike Mussina, but um, no, it's not something that I put too much thought yeah. into. Again, that's sort of the outside perceptions, and it's cool to hear that stuff, but it's really just about what I can do to improve. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Jack. Thank you. I, I had a lot of fun talking to Jack later in spring training. I and mean, Sam, we can talk about this a second. I, I think one of the most fun parts of running around spring training, I did 10 Arizona camps in 10 days, is talking to guys and I even talk to guys sometimes off, uh, I guess, off camera or off phone, uh, just about other stuff too. But just several, I just, the Jack Leiter interview was really interesting to me talking to him, you know, what you guys just heard. One, he said he was never close to not going to Vanderbilt. Like there was never a price. He never entertained not, not going to Vanderbilt. I thought that was really interesting. Um, two, I mean, we knew he and Anthony Volpe were friends and they played at the same school, the Del Barton school in Morristown, New Jersey. I had not realized that during the pandemic, Jack Leiter's at home trying to do simulated four inning starts just to keep his innings up. And one of the three hitters who was simulating games against him was Anthony Volpe. So uh, I guess it was like iron polishing iron or sharpening iron there. Um, I thought that was really interesting. He and Anthony Volpe are still close. And then just my, my general sense of the whole interview was, <laughs> it's not surprising, but, you know, I mean, Jack Leiter is very polished on the mound. And, he, and he, you know, his dad, Al, obviously played in the big leagues and is this great resource, like he talked about in the interview. But he's also an extremely polished interview. And Al's working for MLB Network. And I'm not saying that Al gave Jack media training, but Jack is very comfortable. He's not phased by anything, very focused. Um, I, you know, I mean, I don't know if I could say I'm more impressed with Jack Leiter um, because we already were very impressed with him. I mean, what a great year he had last year, but just very impressive talking to him. He's just extremely mature, yet to make his pro debut. You know, I don't know if the Rangers are going to contend this year, but if they do, if you told me Jack Leiter was pitching for him in September, it, it wouldn't shock me. And I, I just, the guy is so competitive and it just doesn't seem like anything phases it. All right, our thanks to Jack Leiter for joining us on the podcast here. We are going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to dig into all of the brand new 2022 top 30 prospects list. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Sam Dykstra, Jim Callis, and it's time to talk top 30s. So, uh, we put out the top 100 prospects list uh, a little bit ago and then followed that up with all of the team top 30 lists for this year. Uh, that is a daunting task. 900 players total, uh, all 30 teams with a top 30 list, and that's not uh, that's not all the players that you guys dig into when you're doing these lists. And of course, considering several players for each team that don't make the list. Um, 
and you guys have been uh, working away at this for fair to say months. Yes. 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 <laughs> hey, it felt uh, like I crammed a month's worth of work into like the last week or 10 days to get them done as well. But yes, uh, January, I, I'd say it, it took up a good chunk of, of almost three months. And we, we talk about this uh, somewhat frequently on the podcast, but so everybody knows how this breaks down. Um, Jim, Jonathan, and Sam, uh, and then William Bohr as well, split the teams up. They have sort of primary ownership. Um, Jim and Jonathan have 10 teams each, uh, Sam with eight, and William with two. Uh, and so while they all collaborate uh on, on these lists to an extent, and certainly on the top 100 prospects list, there is kind of a primary ownership of those organizations. Uh, so uh, as we go through here, um, Sam and Jim will kind of uh, speak to their own lists. And we, we often reference uh, these lists belonging to uh, one of these characters or another. So um Let's let's start off and just look at uh, some sort of superlatives and trends on the list. Um, you know, we are in the process right now of rolling out the farm system rankings as well, and these lists factor in there. Um, but it's not just the case that the strength of the top thirty list is uh, directly correlated to the farm system rankings, right, guys? I, I guess start off with that kind of general question first. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, we, we have different people doing different lists, so you might grade guys a little differently. But, it, you know, it's it's not just the pure grades. It could be how close you are to the big leagues, you know, how much of a track record you, you've shown. Um, you know, we don't have risk factors indicated on our our grades but you know, there, there, you could have two players who have the same grades, and one guy is is a better bet than the other. Um, you know, I think you can never have enough pitching, but pitching prospects are more volatile. So, if a team has you know, more blue chip hitting prospects, that's something else that stands out. I mean, there, there, there's a number of factors that go in. It it would be nice if we had like a a formula that could just read all the grades and sync everything up and spit out the organization rankings, but it's, it's not that easy. Yeah. I'll just also throw out that like sometimes we take into account how many top 100 prospects they have. Like what is the top, like, what is the middle, like, what is the, the back end Like, like it's not just purely depth. It's not just purely what is your, the ceiling of, of your group or the floor of your group. Um, it's, it's very much, as Jim was saying, an inexact science that is not spit out by a computer. All right. Now, I, I know that you guys have access to uh, this spreadsheet, and we were talking about it earlier. You may be looking at it, but if you're not, don't. Uh, if you are, pretend you're not. Do you know who the who has the youngest top 30 prospects list this year? <laughs> well, I do, because that, I was curious about that, and before we got on here, I, I was curious, um, so I'll let I'll let Sam answer that one. I, I know who it is, though. I, I, I didn't look at this, so I, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I, I I don't know anything I, it, I would say is, would be a guess. Well, uh, a hint for you is that it is it is one of your teams. Oh, is it really? That doesn't help. Um, not Detroit. It's not Kansas City. 
we're not going to give away specific rankings, but is one of the high, when we have our farm system rankings are coming out this week. So we're not going to discuss them because they won't all be revealed by the time this podcast comes out. But it's one of the highest ranked farm systems in baseball. And the flip side is, is that the oldest farm system is one of the lowest ranked farm systems in baseball. It's not Tampa uh, then. No. Is Tampa? Oh, this no. isn't Sam's team. Did you say it was Sam's team? Yeah. It's not you, Sam's you, team. You, I, you lied to him. I, 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 <laughs> You've lied to Sam. That's why he was he was bamboozled. Sam, it is not your team. And it's not now, my now team. Now you just have to tell me. I'm, I'm I, I, was, I was looking at the second youngest team, which is the Blue Jays. That makes sense uh, to me. Yes. Okay. The youngest the youngest average age for a top thirty prospects list this year belongs to the Mariners. With an average age, get ready for this, it's terrible. Uh, average average birthday of December seventh, two thousand. Uh, oh. Most most of the yeah most of the lists now uh, have an average birthday year of either nineteen ninety nine or two thousand. That means the average Mariners top thirty prospect is younger than three of my four kids. So although the the the, the most jarring aspect of my whole spring training trip was um, I'll do a quick aside here when we were doing beat reporter interviews and we talked to beat reporters on camera about the system and then Kennedy Landry who covers the Rangers for us and I were just chatting we probably talked for an hour after we were done recording she went to LSU she's a big LSU fan we're talking on great moments in LSU baseball history and I'm reliving how I was behind home plate for Warren Morris's walk-off home run to win the College World Series in 1996 and Kennedy tells me that she wasn't even born yet Um, so I was like okay like, good to know I'm old. I knew I knew I was old already, <laughs> but uh, but yes. So the so the Mariners are extremely young, and then the one I was I was hinting at on the other side, the the Astros. If I'm looking at this, Jason, correctly, yep. uh, were the were the oldest prospect list, and their average birthday was October seventh, nineteen ninety eight. And uh, also toward the bottom uh, in terms of top thirty lists with. Prospects were long in the tooth. Uh, the White Sox are, are number two and also down at the bottom of the rankings. Yeah. I mean, and not, and, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's not like we looked at that because I hadn't really looked at this until we started the podcast. But, I mean, I do think, you know, everything equal, younger prospects are better if they're showing talent at a younger age. You know, that, that, that's a good thing. So that, that, that doesn't necessarily surprise me. It also just speaks to what the Mariners have been really good at in recent years, which is identifying international talent and turning those guys in, into really, really promising prospects in a really, really promising system. And you just moving down the list. I mean, obviously, Julio Rodriguez and Noel Marte, their top two prospects, both of whom right now are younger than 21, um, both international guys. They, there's multiple players on this list who, as of right now, are 17 um, which is obviously going to drag down the average age of the list. So, you know, the, the Mariners have been very good at that, of signing guys internationally, establishing them in the DSL, bringing them over stateside at the right time, having them take off when they are stateside, and then all of a sudden popping onto this list. And um, Yeah, that's one of the things we, we really like about that system is how fresh it is and how high the ceiling is because of what the, the base layer that these guys are establishing, at, starting in the DSL. And moving over to Arizona. Yeah, the Mariners uh, with 12 of their top 30 uh, from the international market, which is 
up there among the teams with the most on their top 30 prospects list. Um, Jim, did you peek at this one? I, I did too. Well? I, 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 <laughs> when we, I knew we were going to talk about it. I just, I took a quick glance at some of the superlatives. So uh, you could, you can have Sam guess, and it is one of Sam's teams. Yeah. The, uh, the top two, I believe in terms of uh, international signees uh, on a top I 30. Th- I think he might've traded one of those teams. I, I don't think number. I think he traded number two. Oh, you're right. You're right. He did. You're, you're just you're just trying to confuse I, poor Sam. <laughs> so what is the San Diego Padres, right? Is that that's their number two? That? Yes, okay. that's your traded team. I, I picked up the St. Louis Cardinals and I traded the San Diego Padres um, for reasons being that Will Bohr lives in Arizona and it was easier for him to keep track of the the San Diego Padres and Arizona based farm system, obviously. Um, so number one is also one of my teams, you say? Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to say Toronto again. Correct. Yes. There you go. Yeah. The Toronto Blue Jays, um, you know, again, starting with Gab, Gabriel Moreno or Elvis Martinez, Otto Lopez, Leo Jimenez, four of their top five are international signed guys. Uh, Shem Robertsy, another international signed guy from the Netherlands. Shout out to my Dutch ancestors on that one. Manuel Beltre. Like we, we could keep going, but th- this system is. I want you to name all 15. <laughs> I'm joking. Not off the top of my head. Yeah. But, um, but th- that's what they've done. They've really identified those guys on the international market, tried to develop them. And, and if anything, they're what they've really focused on with these guys is making them multi-positional. Or Elvis Martinez is already playing shortstop and third base. Leo Jimenez is playing all over the infield. It feels like Otto Lopez. They're trying to find him a defensive home. Second base makes the most sense, uh, but we'll see how that goes. Um, they do have some really good shortstop guys like Esteban Machado and Rick Helvin de Castro, who feel like bona fide shortstops. Um, but yeah, when you look at this Toronto list, part of it is when they were drafting high, those guys have all graduated and they just traded away Gunnar Hogland, another recent first round pick. Um, but the other thing is, you know, they just seem to be good at developing guys that when they're starting out at 16, 17. All right. Now, how about the most homegrown top 30 lists? Now, uh, the the most homegrown uh, doesn't belong to either one of you. Um, but does it does it uh, surprise you at all that it's the Braves? Um, All 30. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's one that's always interesting but um you know i I don't know that it it i don't know what that really means like i I don't think it's like oh like it just like i mean the braves just traded four prospects you know maybe just i mean they've traded a lot of prospects to acquire veterans in the last year and i don't know if that's that's more reflective of that than like oh like they're really clicking on all cylinders because they're the most homegrown but we don't have them highly ranked at all. And there's there's not a whole lot of disparity between the teams in terms of the number of homegrown prospects that they have on a top 30 list. Um, there are four other teams that have 29, the Dodgers, Royals, Brewers, and Padres. Uh, for the most part, teams have between 26 uh to, as we mentioned, the, the Braves with 30. Um, at the low end 
of that. Well, actually, I was gonna I was gonna say point out that the Padres with twenty nine uh, homegrown, I think, is notable because it seems like only what a few years ago they were the team at the far other end of the spectrum. Yeah, well, I mean, when when AJ Preller first got in there. They traded for a bunch of veterans, and that didn't work. So then they traded for a bunch of prospects. I mean, it's also interesting that that trading Jerry Depoto, who a few years ago they had a bunch of traded prospects, and now they're back to twenty eight homegrown. So I just think it kind of runs in cycles. I mean, because if you look at the teams with the most traded players on here, it's the rebuilding Pirates, the rebuilding A's, who just added four guys in one trade alone with the. Well, I guess for the A's, I guess almost all ten of theirs probably have come in the last couple of weeks. And then the other interesting one, I mean, the, the most fascinating organization, I think, is the Rays because they're trying to win and they've won for a while, but they do such a good job. And, you know, they obviously don't have financial resources. So they're looking to trade for prospects even while they're winning at the big league level. And they're actually tied for second with the A's with 10. But, but most of the teams with, trade, with the most traded prospects are going through a rebuilding cycle right now. I think the Cubs are next with eight and, and they're doing the same thing. Yeah, and you mentioned the Padres, even looking at their list right now, like the one guy who they brought in from another organization wasn't really a prospect deal. It's Ray Kerr, who's their number 30 prospect. But they kind of brought him in with the idea of he could help out the Major League bullpen right away with a plus-plus fastball and a pretty good slider. So even he was not acquired as kind of a building-up-the-farm-system type guy. He's 27. He was acquired as a potentially major league ready now guy. We just, you know, he has prospect status remaining and we think he could be at least a middle reliever in the major league. So you tack him on to number 30 when it gets real thin at the end of the list. But um, yeah, even, even then this is still a functionally homegrown when we're talking about actually long-term prospects uh, system for the podcast. All right. A couple other uh, ways to slice these up. The top 30 list that is most Pitcher heavy has the most pitchers is the Atlanta Braves with which isn't 18. necessarily a good thing. Yeah, twelve only 12, 12 hitters, uh, eighteen pitchers. Um, on the other end of that spectrum, most hitters, the Orioles with twenty one, only nine pitchers, and the Pirates with twenty hitters and ten pitchers. Jim, why do you say that it's not necessarily a good thing to have? Uh, 18 pitchers. Okay, I, I just think I just think pitchers are volatile, um, and you know, it, you know, I, I've used this quote a million times when I started Baseball America. Paul Snyder, legendary scouting director with the Braves, said, "Like, you know, you need 10 good pitching prospects to find two good pitchers. Um, and if your system's heavy in pitchers, unless you're incredibly lucky and you hit on a high percentage of those guys, which doesn't usually happen, like." you know, it it doesn't speak well for your offense going forward. So it's, it's not terrible, but it's not, it's not a good thing. And again, I'm just trying to eyeball this. Well, well, okay. So if you looked at the teams that had the most pitchers on here, the Braves are one of the thinnest farm systems in baseball. And then you got four teams tied at 16 with the twins, angels, the blue Jays and the white Sox. And the Blue Jays are an exception, but the Angels and White Sox also are two of the, the thinner farm systems in baseball. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to have to look at what the Braves are doing right now. And um, when you said, like, oh, they don't really have many hitters, and I'm thinking, like, well, what moves have they made this offseason? It's like, well, maybe they shouldn't have let Freddie Freeman walk. Oh, wait, they traded for Matt Olson immediately and signed him to a long-term extension because they know, looking at their 
system right now, that middle of the lineup bopper is not really coming. I mean, their top prospect right now is Michael Harris II, um, who is an exceptional defender in the outfield, could be a decent hitter, but he's not a number three, four, or five guy. Uh, Drew Waters isn't that guy anymore. We have many more questions about the bat than we did two, three years ago with him. Um, even when they had Pache, Pache, as we've discussed on this podcast, gold glove caliber defender, probably not going to hit, or at least we feel like he's not going to hit. Um, so it, it, when you look at your system and you realize there's not many hitters here, you need to be active in other markets. And the Braves certainly identified that, bringing in Olsen for as many years as they have. I still think they should have kept Freddie Freeman and kept their prospects. Uh, I, I don't disagree. I mean, yeah. they had Freddie Freeman, who, as we've seen, literally an MVP caliber player, um, a franchise type player, the type of player that you want all of your prospects to look at and say, hey, someday I could be Freddie Freeman because he started in this organization and became the fra- face of the franchise. I mean, Jim, I'm sure you've had this conversation with some of these players. They, they look up to the guys who have been homegrown talents within their own organization and find inspiration. Um, and if you're letting a guy like that walk, I, I, I love Matt Olson. I think Matt Olson could lead the National League in home runs this year, and that would be great. Um, but it, it, there's just some inherent value to having Freddie Freeman still around. But that's a uh, that's a whole another hour show we could do on a different podcast. All right, let's uh, move along from our top thirty talk and. I know each of you have one prospect you'd like to talk about uh, that you are looking forward to seeing this year. Uh, we're going to do a story uh, this week on prospects to watch. Um, and that's just going to be one player from each organization that you guys are excited to see this year. Um, Jim, you've got an intriguing one and uh, not someone that, uh, well, I guess, up until the fall, this was someone that we had just hadn't seen much at all. But now he's a guy that it's not like we haven't seen him in a while because we did see him in the fall league and and uh, boy was he good. Yeah, I, I wanted to go off the top 100 prospect list and, and I, I went with Owen White. I was just in Rangers camp. I, I didn't get to see him pitch the day I was there, but talked to people about him. He's looked great this spring. I mean, it's. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Owen White a trillion times on this podcast. I mean, he was one of my favorite players in the 2018 draft, one of my favorite non-first rounders, super athletic guy. And he wound up having Tommy John surgery before he made his pro debut. And then the pandemic came. And then he finally pitches and makes his first pro start in May. And he makes an error during the game. And he slams his hand, pitching hand on the ground and breaks it. So he missed like 10 weeks after that. But he was the best guy in the Arizona Fall League, best pitcher. Uh, in the Arizona Fall League, you know, start in, start out. It, it was really good. And he's just been, you know, he looks great this spring. Um, you know, he's, you know, plus, you, you can see four plus pitches out of Owen White. And he's throwing more strikes and he's super athletic. And I think he's just going to get better with more experience. And I'll tell the the G-rated story, version of this story. So the other day he was pitching in a, I guess, a three-inning backfields game. And, um, like last pitch, he reached back and hit 98 and then kind of glared at a couple of their front office officials. And they're like, you know, what's going on, Owen? And he's like, I'm still, uh, he didn't say angry, but we'll use the word angry. Still, yeah. Yeah. And there was, there was a, a, an adverb in there that I can't, uh, can't use. Why I, I, can we curse on the podcast? Um, flipping. Didn't he say flipping? Something like that. But he, he basically, Owen White said, I'm still mad that I'm going, that you guys are sending me to Hickory, their high A affiliate to start the season. Um, so, like, I mean, his competitiveness, you know, is very good. It's, 
Not because funny. Hickory's not a lovely town. No, he was not slamming the fine citizens of Hickory, North Carolina. But like, so the bottom line is, we've only seen, not counting the fall, he pitched 35 innings last year. That's his entire minor league career is 35 innings. And I'm really curious to see what he does. Like, you know, he threw in the fall league. My guess is you probably aren't going to throw him necessarily more than 100 innings because he only threw about 60 total last year. But now that we have a fully healthy Owen White, he's on a roll. I'm really, really curious to see what he does this year. Now, you know, I said earlier that, you know, if the Rangers, you know, the Rangers spend a bunch of money in their lineup and if they contend with extra playoff spots, maybe we'll see Jack Leiter. I don't feel like we're going to see Owen White in the big leagues this season, even if all that happened, just because of the innings limit. I think he'll be kind of restricted because he hasn't beat him pitch much last year. But I, I, I think at some point in 2023, we're going to see Owen White and Jack Leiter and Cole Wynn in that Rangers rotation. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's going to be a pretty good rotation going forward. So I'm very excited about Owen White. All right. And um, Sam, you're on the other side of the ball here. Yes, I am. I, I chose a hitter uh, for mine. And it's somebody who every time I talk to somebody with the Royals, they always say, like, this guy probably would be a top 100 prospect if he had a better pedigree, if he wasn't a 2019 11th round pick. Um, I don't think that's entirely true. We base this off many other things. It's not just draft pick. But Vinny Pasquantino, a.k.a. Italian Breakfast, maybe my favorite uh, nickname in the minor leagues, uh, is my pick here. He's a 24-year-old first baseman. And why he's a prospect to watch. There's many reasons for it. I'll start with the bat. Um, he was one of the rare guys last year who struck out as much as he walked, 64 times each, over 116 games between high A and double A. He hit 24 homers, had a 300 average. All the pieces are there um, for um, like him to be an above-average hitter with above-average power. He's first base only. Uh, the Royals right now are toying around with MJ Melendez and Nick Prado potentially playing multiple positions. Pasquantino feels like he's only first base or DH. That's essentially where he's going to be. So that's the other thing I'm really watching for. Um, but they were saying like the bat is good enough right now where he might be one of the best hitters in the minor leagues. I'm really intrigued to see how that's going to carry over uh, this year, hitting from the left side. Uh, he's had a great spring. So many Royals have had great springs. It, it's not huge breaking news to say a Kansas city Royals had a really solid spring, but in 11 games, uh, in Cactus League play, he's got a 389 average. He's got a homer, two doubles. The K to walk ratio right now is five to two, so he's a little off on that. Um, but from what I was told last year, he's somebody who very much follows how much he's striking out versus how much he's walking. His knowledge of the strike zone is very good. His swing decisions are very good. It's what allows the power to play up. Um, how what does he do for an encore? That's what I'm going to be really following here. And are we going to be getting to a point where? Nick Prado has to move to the outfield. Nick Prado, who we've said is probably the best defensive first baseman in the minor leagues. He's super athletic. Does he have to move to the outfield because Vinny Pasquantino can't play in another position? Um, that, that's going to be DH. You could DH, could DH him, right? He could DH. That is something that could happen. Um, you know, it's a, it's a good problem that the Royals may have to deal with here in 2022. So I'm going to be keeping a close eye on that. And Jim, I take, take everybody behind the curtain slacked me saying I have to explain Italian breakfast. So I want to circle on that back on that real fast. You guys remember country breakfast, correct? I was going to say, yeah, I'll be, I'll be curious to see whether the Royals bring Billy Butler back so they can have two breakfasts in the lineup. 
Yeah, I mean, that's essentially what it is, is here's this first base only prospect we have who's really good with the bat. Who does he remind us of? Everybody automatically says Billy Butler, who has a great nickname, which is Country Breakfast. Vinny Pasquantino has one of the most Italian names you can have, not only in baseball, but anywhere. Um, so they they mash the two together, and he's called Italian Breakfast. I've never asked him, and I want to at some point check in with him how he feels about the nickname, but it is definitely something that has spread far and wide across uh, Royals Twitter. It seems like we're going to have to do like a – take Vinny Pascantino I can't even say his name, Vinny Pascantino and Billy Butler to like a cracker barrel and like have a breakfast off uh, and, and see how that goes. I, I am prepared to do that. If we want to do that at some point, I am ready at the drop of a hat uh, to just set up two microphones between the two of them and throw out topics and see how it goes. Okay. Um, I don't want to get too deep into this because we need to, move on and wrap this thing up. But, uh, you know, when you guys were talking about prospects, you want to, you want to see this year prospects to watch. Uh, the guy that jumped to mind for me is Forrest Whitley. Uh, just for the fact that we have not seen him for so long. He was, you know, the number seven overall prospect in baseball back in 2019, the last time we saw him um, and things kind of fell apart and we just, you know, we have not seen this guy for so long. I, I don't really want to get into that, but it does segue somewhat into our mailbag question. Well, real quick, uh, with- Jason, now that you open the can of worms, we don't get in, have to get into it, but it just made me think, I feel like I'm going to see Forrest Whitley dominate the Arizona Fall League again. Like I, I, I've seen Forrest Whitley make like five or six Arizona Fall League starts over two seasons, and it feels like we're headed in that direction in 2022 again. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy with that. Um so yeah, he, he peaked at number seven in 2019. He was number nine in 2018. Um, another guy who was way up there um, and has fallen off a bit, Mackenzie Gore. Uh, he peaked at number five in 2020, was number six in our preseason top 100 last year, um, and then has struggled. And we have a question from Evan, uh, Twitter handle at Evan official underscore who asks Mackenzie Gore has had a strong, uh, a great spring. Is he already rising back toward his 2019 prospect status? And of course, Jim, anyone who knows you and knows uh, this podcast and, and follows prospects knows about your massive prospect crush on Mackenzie Gore. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, Sam's probably the one who can tell us more of this, this this question because he's been in Peoria, probably talked to the Potters about Mackenzie Gore. I can't, I mean, I know he's throwing well. I can't get jacked up about spring training stats or spring training performance. But, I mean, Sam, you've, you've been to Peoria. Did you talk to Mackenzie Gore? Did you talk to people about Mackenzie Gore while you were there? I talked to people about him. Unfortunately, the way the schedule was working for me, um, here in Peoria was that I was going to be able to go to Padres camp on a day when the major league team was in Scottsdale facing the Giants. Um, so Mackenzie Gore actually pitched today. I went to Padres camp today. He pitched in Scottsdale while I was on the backfields watching the minor leaguers. Um, but he pit through four innings. I've talked to people about him, um, just trying to check in where he's at because the numbers do tell a story. I mean, he's thrown nine innings. He struck out 11 guys, walked only one, which is the thing I was going to keep an eye on. He's given up two earned runs on four hits. 
So nine innings across three outings. That, that would be an incredible start, 11 strikeouts, nine innings. Um, but it's been spread out. He's still building up here. Um, but from what every from what I've heard is that not we're not going to say he's back. Uh, the, that, that was the question, right, was is he back to his 2019 prospect status? I'm not going to put a ton of weight into what he's shown this spring, but it seems like the delivery is more consistent. That was the major thing last year is getting his command back to a certain level, um, being able to, you know, hit, hit his spots regularly. Also being, you know, I, I love the leg kick that he has and the high glove, but like it was so much easier to get out of whack using that. So it, they've, from what I've seen, the videos I've seen, it seems like they've kind of toned all that down, made it much more repeatable. And now he's getting back to getting swings and misses. The breaking stuff is pretty good. The velocity seems to be there. Um, he was showing this in flashes last year in the Arizona Fall League, but it, the consistency was a major, major issue, which is backing up everything we heard from the previous year at the alternate site. Uh, he seems much more consistent now. This is basically why we kept him in the top 100, right, Jim? Like we thought this was possible. Um, he's still super young. Well, not super young, but he's still young. Um, and he still had time to correct his mistakes. And that's one thing the Padres have always hammered down with him is that a lot of other players, they get to make their mistakes earlier in their careers and then they improve and they adjust. He was really good from the outset and then he had to adjust and then he made his mistakes and it was very public. And it was at a time when everybody thought he's the best pitching prospect in baseball. Um, but how he overcomes this is going to turn him into the eventual starter that he could be, which, you know, if this holds, he's, th there were some rumblings today that like maybe San Diego flirts with a six man rotation because of some other injuries that they're dealing with at the major league level. And Gore could be number six. Um, seems more likely that he's going to El Paso where, you know, he struggled last time he was there, get him some success at triple a finally. But if this holds for a couple of weeks, like, yeah, he could be very close to being the Mackenzie Gore. We all really knew and really fell for, uh, three years ago now at this point. Yeah. It just seems like he really got out of whack mechanically at the alternate site and, you know, in the odd year that was 2020 and we were all wondering like, geez, why is, you know, why is, you know, Ryan Weathers coming up or David Weathers coming up, uh, rather than Mackenzie Gore. Um, and you know, it's, it's, you mentioned the fall league, uh, you know, I don't. Were you at his good start? He had a really good start his first time out. I know you went early for us. Did you, were you at his good start? I was at his good start. Yeah. Um, yeah. I won't so say. So he looked really was... good. That. Did. Go. Yeah. Go. On, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say I, I would say he looked good. Like he he looked about as good as as you could have hoped for him. I I don't think it was like lights out stuff, but it was just like okay, right. there's something here. This is the start of something. And then I was at his really bad start, in which balls were yeah. flying to the backstop. And then, then I then I saw the third start, his third and final start, where he was just inconsistent. You know, when he he threw, you know, he had a couple of ticks more velocity and he commanded his stuff. He was good. And then when he was down to like 91, 92 and not locating his secondary stuff, he got hit. So I, I kind of saw the in between. So I mean, we obviously need to see more of him, but but he's definitely trending in the right direction. All right, thank you to Evan. Have an official underscore for that question. And of course, thanks to Jack Leiter for joining us on the show today. And thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.